Worship is just that time. It's that time between you and God. You know, there's no standards. There's no guidelines. There's no, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that. Authentic and passionate worship can look like really anything to anybody. For me, worship is personal. It's about really acknowledging who God is. It's the way God's word is to acknowledge who he is. Worship is a time that I can come before God and just uh, express to Him my love for Him. That's my time to praise Him, be with Him, and uh, just thank Him. Just God and I, just worshiping Him, thanking Him, praising Him. Not scared or afraid of what others think and and how they're going to perceive my relationship with Jesus, but what is deserved and owed to Him because of what He's done in my life. What's happening? Hey, hey. Ooh, how are you guys doing? It is good to see you. Um, not gonna lie, I missed you just a little bit. Soaking it in. All right, I'm good. Hey, um, I know some of you. This is gonna be a little distracting because I'm not bald, and that's gonna mess with some of you. Um, I've decided just to see what God does with hair, and we're just gonna go from there. I don't know what's gonna happen, um, but we're gonna see. So don't let that mess you up because we're gonna look at something really important this morning. Um, we're, we're gonna take this art of worship, and we're gonna look at hopefully how to apply, um, how to add, and how to make that a different part of our life. And as we've gone through this journey of deep and wide, um, and hopefully you've, you've seen that that's our desire as a church and as a staff. Is not that we just know a lot about God, not just a lot of just different things, but that we actually learn how to apply those things to our life, um, which causes us to grow deeper and have a better understanding of who he is. Um, so that, that's the whole purpose of this series. Um, today, though, as we look at worship, um, it's my honor, and I get the privilege today of talking to you about worship and what I feel like worship is, what it does, um, how to make it active in our lives, because I think that we as a church, um, well, just in general, I think we've made worship really, really weird for a lot of people. Um, worship's a a little uncomfortable sometimes. Um, it, it's it's become more of an experience than I think what it was meant to be. And, and when I when I read this book, what what I understand about what I understand about worship was it was never intended to be just a moment, which is what an experience is. We experience something, it lasts for just a moment, and then it ends. Um, worship never was built for that. Worship was built to be an offering, um, because a, a moment will, will stop, but an offering goes on our entire life, and worship was intended for us to be an offering. Uh, and I believe this with, with all that, that I am. Um, I think that all of us have been created to worship. Now, some of you maybe have a little more rhythm than the rest of us, and you worship just a little bit better than some of us do. Not better, but just without hurting people beside you. Um, and that, that's, that's good. But all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what, what background, any of that, we all have been built with this innate nature to worship. Uh, it's, it's who we are. So in saying all that, let, let me say this. This is what I think that worship is. I think that worship is the act of what we say that we know. And I think that true worship happens when we put into action the things that we know. So let me say that again, because that's going to be pivotal in, in what we're talking about this afternoon. I think that worship is the act of what we say that we know, but worship happens when we put what we know into action. And I think worship encompasses our entire day from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. Um, I, I honestly believe that everything we do, every relationship that we're in, um, down to how I treated my kids this morning before I left to come here, I, I feel like all of that was an act of worship. It's something that starts and it goes on our entire lives and, and it really, it doesn't, it never ceases to, to, um, to be. It's something that's who we are. It's, it's what we are. It's, it's what we do. So if all of that is true, um, 
if worship is going to be more than just an experience, if worship is something that that's a part of what we do, we need to understand a little bit, um, maybe a little bit more of who we're worshiping. Cause I think that'll help us. Cause if we, if we just dive into this and I'm like, Hey guys, it's time to worship. Most of us would just raise our hand and we'd expect the band to come back out. Um, but unfortunately when you go home, they don't go home with you. I mean, that would be cool to have theme music where everywhere you went, you're just like, I need worship. And Ryan or Barrett and these guys would come out and they just start playing. That would be awesome. Um, it just doesn't happen. I've tried and they won't, they won't do it. Um, so how do we take worship with us? Well, we've got to understand what and who we're worshiping or none of it makes sense. So to do that, um, we're, we're going to start in, in Philippians. So man, if you've got your Bible, go to Philippians four with me. And that's where we're going to, we're going to start the journey on this. And let, let me say this up front, because some of you are going to need to get ready for this. Um, there's two questions that I hope by the time we leave here that every one of us has an answer to. Um, two really simple questions that when we walk out of these doors, I want all of us to know without any shadow of a doubt. First question is really simple. What is your 13? Second question is, what is your Isaac? And you're like, I have no idea what that means. Buckle up, because it's about to get there. What is your 13? What is your Isaac? That's where we're going today. And hopefully all of that will make sense by the time we, we leave out of here. Um, don't know your background in church. I know personally, when I thought about church, I thought about what was happening here. I always pictured this book and Jesus com- kind of like the fun vacuum. Um, they were like the Hoover of everything cool. Um, they would go into great things and they would suck out anything that looked like fun and they would leave you with guilt. Um, so you wanted to go out on a date. That would be awesome. You'd go out on this awesome date and then God and Jesus and the Bible would, it would suck out anything that could be cool in that moment. And you were left with like really bad food and horrible music. And that was what was left because this sucked out everything good. And I think too many of us, if we're going to look at worship, we're going to have to let go of some baggage that we're bringing into this conversation. Because if we're going to get where we need to go and the journey is going to take us there, we're going to have to let go of some of the things that maybe we're carrying with us um, to get through that. This book, this relationship with Jesus that we talk about week after week after week, um, it doesn't suck the fun out of things. Um, it allows us to have fun from the creator of fun. It allows us to, to be who God has built us to be and understand how he's built us so that we can even have more fun than we thought possible. Um, if we're going to do this so and we're going to trust him, I, I want you to see some attributes um, that remind us of who he is. So that's Philippians 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 and, and start there and kind of see where it takes us. It says this, um, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And these are, these are characteristics of God. These are characteristics of the one that I'm standing here telling you that we should worship. These are characteristics. These are, these are descriptions of who we are worshiping. Whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, these all reflect God. The problem that I found with me personally in worship is too many times I focus on me and not these. I focus on the inadequacies in my life and I can't really worship God because I think about all the baggage that I bring to the, that I bring to the altar when I worship. I think about all the, the luggage that I carry with me when I go to worship and Satan does a great job of reminding me, how are you going to worship when you have this in your life? How can you, do you really think God wants you to worship him seriously with all of this? Did you forget who you were? Cool. Let me remind you. And Satan does a great job of, of reminding me who that is. And, and this is a great passage because if, if you've ever fallen into that trap, this is a beautiful description of how we enter into worship. It starts with us remembering who we're worshiping and remembering some of these attributes. We need to remember who's pure, who's lovely, who's admirable, who's excellent, who's praiseworthy. 
We need to remember these things. I want to help us with this because I don't know if this is sinking in. Um, I need you to do something with me. Um, I need you on your feet real quick. I need us all to stand up. Um, Five o'clock, if you're with us, dude, I need you on your feet also. Um, Nobody cheating. Um, Everybody on your feet, I promise, is painless. We're not going to work out. No exercise involved here. What I want us to do is this. Um, I'm going to give us a minute. They're going to throw a timer up on the screen here. Um, I'm going to give us one minute. And for this minute, your only rule right now is to not think about the number 13. Got it? You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you need to do, but don't think about the number 13. So think about 14 is fine, 12 is great, but nobody think about the number 13. As soon as you think about 13, I'm going to need you to be honest and sit back down. This is church. I understand some of you are crazy competitive, but this is a really... This is a pointless game where you're not going to win anything, but maybe a high five from me. So there's no reason to cheat. And plus you're in church. So you probably go to hell. So <laughs> nobody cheat. Not really. I didn't mean that. Um, so that, that's it. That's the rules. Timer's going to go up. I'm going to say go. As soon as I say go, the minute you think of the number 13, you're going to sit down. Um, everybody else, you're going to stay up until you think of the number 13. And then you're going to sit down and we're going to see if we can get this through in one minute. Is that clear? All right. So you ready? And go. So. You have one minute, 55 seconds to not do it. You can do it. You can do this. It's so simple. Just don't think about that number. You can think about any other number. Don't get back into your days of like, I don't know, like Veggie Tales or back into um, Sesame Street where they do all that counting stuff because that's going to be horrible for you right now. Don't go like 10, 11, 12. That's bad news. Um, don't go backwards either. Some of you are tricky and you're like, I'll count backwards and you're going to be like 15, 14, and that's bad news for you. Don't visualize things. Don't think about the number one right beside the number three because that's going to be bad news for you. Some of you are football fans. I need you to not think about Dan Marino. I realize he's the greatest quarterback ever, but you're going to see his jersey and it's going to destroy this moment for you. Some of you are math minded. That's awesome, but don't think about seven and six because that's going to that's going to be bad too. You're almost there. Don't think about like 14 minus one. Don't think any of that stuff. Any other thing that you need to think about, but stay away from it because you're so. Don't think about that. Oh, that was close. And we're there. Wait a second. Give them a hand first for standing up still. And don't sit down yet. Hold on. I need, I need you to look around for me for just a second at the, the number of people sitting down versus the number of people standing up. We need to do this again because we did something wrong. So I need you back on your feet real fast. Last time, I promise. Back on your feet real quick. Because if that's how we end this, I didn't do a very good job of teaching you guys anything because the vast majority of us just like failed that whole little exercise. So we're going to do the exact same thing again. Um, exact same rules, exact same everything. I'm going to say go. Timer's still up there. I'm going to say go. It's going to hit. But this time, to help you, um, spent tons of times in the Psalms this last week. Tons of time reading through this beautiful scripture um, that keep, most of it David wrote. And I prepared a spoken word for you that I think will help keep you on track as we try to do this one more time. So exact same rule as soon as you think of it, which none of us are because we're going to focus. Um, I need you to sit down. But until then, everybody else, you're going to stay on your feet. As soon as I say go. Ready? Go. It's time that we stop, that we collaborate, we listen. Tim, he's back. He's got this brand new invention. Something is going to grab a hold of you tightly. It's going to flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? I don't know. You turn off these lights, though, and I'll glow. To this extreme, I'll rock this mic like a vandal. I'll light up this stage. Watch me dance like a candle. Dance... 
to the rush of speakers that go boom. Because I'm killing this brain like a poisonous mushroom. Deadly, when I play a dope melody, anything less than the best is a felony. You can love it or leave it, but you better gang play. You better hit the bullseye because this kid don't play. Because if there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out this hook while my DJ revolves it. Ice, ice, baby, it's too cold. Look at that. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. Waited my whole life to sing Ice, Ice, Baby in church. Look at, look around for just a second. Y'all have a seat. Thank you very much. Thank you for being good sports too. Did you notice the difference when we put our mind on something that's beautiful and holy and we didn't think about what we weren't supposed to think about? Too many of us can't worship because our minds stay focused on what we're not supposed to do on things that we've done in our past that we feel like has disqualified us. And too many times we don't focus our minds on this, on what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, what's admirable, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. We focus and we put so much effort thinking about all these things that disqualify us. We forget the fact that Jesus paid and he wiped all that clean and we can focus on who he is. And for too many of us, it's going to be hard to worship today because that 13, whatever it is, and it's different for all of us. We all have a 13. We all have something that's in our heads that keeps us from worshiping. We all have something that, that we feel like has disqualified us from the game. And when it comes to this relationship with Christ, and if we're built to worship him, we've done this and it's totally deleted us from that, that scene. If you look in verse nine, it says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul's telling him, man, if you've seen any of this stuff, if you've ever seen me do anything good, that's from God. Put these things into practice. This is the act of worship. Guys, this is where we put this into motion. Worship isn't knowledge. Worship is application of that knowledge. And I love the end of verse 9. That last sentence is so powerful. Paul tells these guys, he says, and the God of peace be with you. Because I understand this. If we're going to walk out there and we're going to put worship into motion and we're actually going to act on the things that we know, we're going to need a God of peace. Because if we're going to take 13, whatever that is in our life, and we're going to lay that down as an offering before God, because worship is an offering, right? Not an experience. If we're going to lay that down as an offering before God, we're going to need his peace to carry us the rest of this journey. We're going to need his peace to walk us through the end of this trip. So I want to pray for us because we're going to dive into where worship started in the Bible and we're going to see how it applies. But before we do that, I want to give us a chance to go into that fresh and I want to pray to get that song out of our heads for the next 30 minutes. Um, so pray with me. Um, Jesus, thank you for grace. Um, God, thank you for the fact that whatever it is that's in our lives right now that, that we feel has disqualified us from the game, that God, that's exactly the reason that, that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, that's the exact reason why you came and died was to take the things that disqualify us, God, and erase them and replace them with you. So God, as we explore what it means to worship and as we look at worship in these next few moments, God, would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes? And Jesus, would you open our ears to what it means to truly worship you? And when we walk out of this place, God, would we be more like you than we are right now? Um, Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, get your Bibles back out. Um, very first book. We're going to go where this originally started. Man, go to Genesis. 
We're going to kick this off where this, this officially takes place in scripture. Um, there's a little over 250 times the word worship or worshipers is used in, in the Bible. The very first time is in Genesis 22. So that's where we're going to start. If we're going to do this, I felt like why jump in at the end? Let's just start at the beginning with the very first time we see it in the Bible. So Genesis 22 is where we're going to pick this up. Let me give you a little bit of background so you understand what's about to happen. Um, we're about to read about this guy named Abraham. Abraham is old. Um, not like 50 old because that's not old. We're talking like 100 old. That's old. Um, Abraham has just been blessed with his first child just a couple years ago. So we don't know how old exactly um, Isaac is in this moment. Um, that's Abraham's son. But we know that God went to Abraham and he made a promise. He told Abraham, he said, Abraham, you are going to have so many descendants. It's going to be like the stars in the sky. You're going to have so many people, God, or Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants, so many children. It's going to be like the sand on the seashores. Nobody's going to be able to count them. That was the promise that God gave to Abraham. And now Abraham is, is around 100 years old. He's got his first son. And that's where Genesis 22 picks up. So he's an old man with a son. And Genesis 22 picks up. So look in verse 1. It says, sometimes later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Uh, and let's stop for a second because I don't want anybody to get confused in this. Um, it says that God tested Abraham. It does not say that God tempted Abraham. And there's two drastic different. There's a huge difference between tempted and tested. God does not tempt you. Um, that's very, very clear in James 1.13. God does not tempt, nor is he tempted. Um, that's not his gig. He does not come in and tempt us into failure, but he will allow you to be tested. Because testing us solidifies our faith because it allows us to understand really where we're at with our relationship with Christ. And it allows us to become deeper in that walk. And testing our faith makes us stronger. So God will allow you to be tested, but he's not tempting you. So don't let that confuse you. Kind of a side note. Um, if you're ever doing anything and you hear a voice say your name, um, Tim, your very best reply should be, here am I. Man, just drop that quick, because if God's speaking to you, that's probably where you want to go, is here am I. Don't be like, hey, I'll call you back later, playing Flappy Bird. None of that. Be like, God, here am I. Look in verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And, and this is, this is kind of cool and kind of weird. Um, God makes sure that Abraham knows who he's talking about. He says, make sure you take your son, Isaac. And he doesn't want to get Abraham to get confused with like Isaac who lives down the street that's constantly like throwing rocks at his kids. He doesn't want him to get confused with that Isaac. So he's like, Abraham, take your son, Isaac, your son, your only son. The one that you love. He wanted there to be no doubt in who he was telling him to take with him. It was Isaac. And, and don't let this be weird for you either. Because some of you are looking at this and you're like, why would God want a human sacrifice? I didn't think God was into like killing babies and that kind of stuff. That's weird. Why would God want to sacrifice? This isn't God telling Abraham, hey, go sacrifice your son because I want you to kill him. This is God telling Abraham, I'm testing you to see where your son fits with you. I know because I'm God. I want you to know, Abraham, where is your son in your relationship. Is he above me? Have you placed your son? Cause you wanted that for so long. Is he above where I am in your life? So it's, it don't, don't let that freak you out that he's saying, Hey, go kill your son, sacrifice him. Um, because remember this is a test. Look in verse three. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. There's a really cool attribute of, of Abraham here that we need to apply to our life. Uh, and it's the very first of three. It says, early the next morning. 
You see, Abraham was really prompt about what God had told him to do. And the obedience, which is a form of worship, was immediate. Too many times God tells us to do something and we're like, yeah, God, I'm going to pray about that for, I don't know, six months and see. I'll come back to you. And God's like, dude, really? We need to take a little page out of Abraham's book and we need to act with some, with some early the next morning. Verse four. It says, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This is the first time in over 250 passages where the word is used. This is the first that we see this word used in scripture. And I want you to see something here. He says, Abraham looks to his servants and listen to what he says. He says, stay here with the donkeys. I'm going to take the boy and we're going to go over there. And then look at the last sentence. He says this word twice. He says, we will go and worship and then we will come back to you. Do you understand that worship is when we take the biggest part of our life and we lay it on an altar before God? That's where worship begins. And let me explain what I mean by altar because that maybe get a little, that's weird for some of us. Um, an altar in the time and just what Abraham was thinking through because Abraham of anybody knew what a sacrifice was. During the Old Testament, during this time, during Abraham's life, what they would do for forgiveness of their sins, there had to be death that involved forgiveness, which is why Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. So they would, they would gather stones and they would stack up basically a table built out of rocks and they would take whatever the sacrifice was, a lamb, a sheep, a goat, a cow, whatever that looked like. Um, in this case, Isaac. They would take that, they would lay it on the altar, they would kill it, and then they would catch it on fire. The fire would consume it, and the the smoke would go up to heaven, and it was like they were sending the sacrifice up to heaven, and that sacrifice was payment for the sins that they had done. So if anybody knew what a sacrifice was, it was Abraham. If anybody knew what an altar was, it was Abraham. An altar was the place that you had laid out, that you had built and laid out before you, that you placed your best on, and then you gave it up to God. Altars for us resemble prayer a lot of times. It's where we go to God in prayer and we, in that moment of prayer, for some of us we get on our knees, some of us we stand up, some of us we close our eyes, some of us like to watch. Um, it, it doesn't matter, but an altar in our lives for a lot of us is when we go before God, it's, but it's when we go before God and then we offer Him what's the biggest part of our life. And I don't know if you noticed the words, I, I really tried hard to emphasize that, but He says, we will go and worship and then we will come back. Abraham is going to sacrifice his son. He's going to take the biggest part of his life and put it on an altar before God. And he's calling it worship. Parents, do you see that he's saying we will go and worship? He's implying that not just he is going to worship, but him and Isaac are worshiping in that moment. And let that sink in for just a second. When we sacrifice, when we take what's the biggest part of our life and we lay it before God, it's not only a a form of worship for us, if it's a person or if it's a relationship, it's also a form of worship for them. Parents, when you stop and you you give your children to God and you trust God with them, I'm not saying you stop being a parent because please don't ever do that. I'm sick of parents stop being a parent and expecting youth ministry to fix them. It's time, you're, you're a parent for a reason. But when you as a parent, you stop, you lay that biggest part of your life on an altar before God. Do you understand that it's an act of worship, not just for you, but for them as well? And I don't know if you catch the end of that verse, the end of verse five, because it's powerful. He says, we will worship and then we will come back. Abraham understood that for him to sacrifice, it meant he had to kill what was ever on that altar. 
But he's saying, we're going to go worship. And then the two of us are coming back. Because in Abraham's mind, it didn't matter what he did to his son in that moment because he knew that God was big enough. He knew that God was strong enough. He knew those attributes that we just read about in Philippians 4 that hadn't even been written yet, but he knew those as attributes of God. And he knew that if, if God was telling him to do, to do this, to sacrifice his son, he knew the promise of God. He knew what obedience looked like. That's why he got up early the next morning to, went, to go and to do it. And he knew that if he was obedient with God, that God would somehow fulfill that promise to him. And he knew that if he took Isaac out, that he would be bringing Isaac back. And it's because he had the God of peace with him. So, let me ask you this question again. What is your 13? What is the thing that you feel like has hindered you from being allowed to worship? Maybe it's past experience at church. Maybe you've had a horrible experience in a church um, and you think that that's what churches are about and so you don't worship because of that. If that's you, man, join the club. I'm right there with you. I've had several of those. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's things that it's part of your life. Maybe it is sin. Maybe we can't worship because the 13 in our world is sin that we haven't dealt with and rather than dealing with the sin, we continue to try to hide it and we don't understand why worship is so flat and why there's, there's no meaning behind it in our world. Do you understand for us to worship, for us to, to take that word and to truly worship, we need to get some of our, the, the things, those things, that 13, whatever that looks like, and we need to place it before God along with whatever is biggest in our world and place it before God. It's where worship starts. Do you understand how incomplete worship is and how inadequate worship is when we give God the fringes of everything, all the little bits and pieces of the things we don't really want? It's kind of like a yard sale. When you have a garage sale at your house, you really keep all the good stuff inside and all the things that you don't want, you put outside and hope other people for some reason want them. That's worship for a lot of us. We keep all the good stuff inside and we throw God all these little bits and pieces of things, hoping that that'll appease him and and that'll be good. That's not worship. It's incomplete. Worship happens when we take the biggest part of our life and we set it down before God and say, God, this is yours. Whatever it looks like, whatever you do with it, whatever you decide, I don't, I don't understand I'm sure Abraham had no clue why God was testing him in this moment, at least like this. I'm sure several, several years later, Abraham looked back in this moment and was like, my God's, my God's big. <laughs> I remember that because if you go through and you read the rest of the story, you find out that God never intended him to kill Isaac, but that there was a sacrifice waiting for them where they built the altar. There was a ram that was stuck in a thicket and that's what they used as a sacrifice. Abraham didn't see that before. What is your Isaac? What is the thing that's best in your world? And and it could be a lot of things, man. It could be jobs. It could be relationships. It could be, it could be money. It could be possession. It could be security. It could be divorce. It could be sin. It could be failure. It could be anxiety. It could be guilt. It could be shame. It could be all of that. What's keeping you from taking that and placing it? before God. A few years ago, when we very first moved here, um, I had a friend of mine that I convinced to come out and and speak to our students. Um, His name's Justin Wren. Huge guy. He's like 6'4", 250 pounds, just an enormous guy. He beats people up um, for a living. He's a a fighter, um, which is why he's my friend, because I feel like if I ever get in trouble, which I'm probably going to do because my mouth goes off before my head a lot of times, um, I keep him on speed dial just in case. 
huge guy. He, he came and spoke at our church and he was doing announcements. He gave one of the guys a bear hug and like, we thought he broke his back. It was really funny. Um, but Justin just finished UFC. They were going through the tough season, the super heavyweights. Um, he just finished that season. His career was like, sky's the limit. And I remember talking to him. He's like, yeah, dude, it's nuts. I'm getting these contracts. I'm fighting this. I've got all of these opportunities. Um, and then he started telling me about this, this mission trip that he had went on before all that went down and just some ideas that he had had. Um, and just this struggle he had had for a group of pygmies that live in the African jungle, um, that don't have clean drinking water and daily children die because of the, the, the diseased water. And so he started telling me about this, this dream that he had, he called it fight for the forgotten. And it was where he was going to go to Africa, live with these guys for a year and teach them how to drill well so that they could have fresh, clean water. So he put his, his career on hold, knowing that being there possibly could mean that when he comes back here, he doesn't get to fight anymore. That's his livelihood. And at January 1st of this year, he moved to Africa. Before that, he had met a girl fallen in love and they decided they were going to get married. He put his engagement, actually they're engaged now, so it's not on hold, just the wedding is. His wife is here praying for him who's there. And they've put all of that on hold while he teaches this group of people that don't even really know him what it means to drill clean water and how to, how to make that happen. And he's put what was, biggest, what was best in his world, he placed it on the altar before God and said, God, whatever this means, I'm going to follow you. And don't, don't misunderstand that. This isn't where you walk out of here, you pull out your cell phone and you're like, hey boss, guess what? I quit. Um, Tim said so. No. I'm just saying, if we take whatever is biggest in our world and we place it before God, he's going to do something crazy cool with it. That's what he does. And we know that because of those attributes that we just read from Philippians 4. We know that because he's true, because he's just, because he's admirable. Because all those characteristics define who he is. So again, what is, what is your Isaac? What is your 13 that's keeping you from giving that to God? Some of you, um, man, it's, it's you. You won't give God you because you know what's best for your life. I remember those days. You know how to make yourself happy. You feel like you've got control over everything in your world. Has it hit you yet that you don't? Because it will. Do you understand that when we feel like we have control over everything in our life, the reality sets in that we don't have control over everything in our life. And eventually that joy and that peace that we're looking for isn't going to be there and we're stuck. And maybe it hasn't hit you yet. Some of us though, we know who God is and we're allowing past whatever's to be that 13 that, to disqualify us. And we're hanging on to what's best in our world instead of worshiping, which is the act of putting into motion what we know. Too many times we get to this moment um, and we as, as ministers, we cloud it, we don't give you time to think. And I think one of the lost arts of worship um, is, is silence, is prayer, is sitting and listening and, and waiting for God to point these things out to us. And too many times we have so much noise, it's not that God isn't speaking to us, it's that we can't hear him. So I just thought today this, this would be a cool way to end this, would be for us to just pray and then to just sit in a moment of silence. 
without any distractions, without anything going on. And just for you to sit between you and God. And this is my 13. God, show it to me, man. I need to know what it is because I want to give it to you. And I need to know how to give it to you. God, this, this is what's biggest in my world. This is, this is it. If it's pain, if it's sorrow, then I'm going to give it to you with hope um, that you're going to do something better with it. If it's my job and my family that I love more than anything in this world, then I'm going to give it to you with assurance that you're going to bless it and take better care of it than I ever will. But we're just going to take a second as a family and hang out in a moment of silence and let God speak to us what those two things are. So Jesus, in this moment, um, God, would you help us to understand what it means to truly worship you? And God, in this moment, would you allow just the silence, God, to be so quiet in this place that we could hear what you've been trying to tell us for so long so that we can do exactly what Abraham did and we can act on it immediately. Jesus, thank you for all those attributes being true to who you are. Thank you for not leaving us in that moment um, without hope, but for being the God of hope who comes in that moment knowing how hard it's going to be for us to trust you. And then God giving us hope that you're going to do something better with it. So Jesus, in this moment, in this, this final time that we have today is corporate worship where we get to sit here as a family, God, and we get to lift our voices up to you. Jesus, would you help us in this moment to to not just know what these things are in our world, but God, for us to truly give those things to you. And Jesus, if anyone in this place right now is struggling with who you are, and if, God, if you really could give them hope, I just pray that in these next few minutes, God, that you would do something powerful through that. And that that question would be answered. Jesus, we ask this all in your name. Amen. I want to leave you with this thought before we worship together. If worship ends with an initial offering, it's, com- it's incomplete. If we don't take time to align ourselves with God's heart and then do the things that he's called us to do, our worship becomes incomplete. Worship is daily, and it's why we're here. Corporately, this is our last time today to come together and to lift up a form of worship through song. A time for us to take whatever that altar looks like and take the 13, the the Isaac, whatever that is, and place it before God in an act of worship. And this is your chance to act on that.